so first of all, it's very antiquated. It's very behind the times compared to other industries on so many levels. The the power imbalances are crazy. The sustainability issue is disgusting. Just the abuses of people and forgetting people are human seems to be really, really prolific in this industry. And um, you know, people in power take advantage of the fact that it's hugely competitive. People are willing to do anything to feel like they're getting into the industry and able to level up in the industry. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers, and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines, and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is a British fashion designer who launched her first fashion brand at the age of 15. Since then, she has created an incredibly successful technical fashion brand that blends high performance fabrics with high fashion design. The London-based brand has raised a significant investment and has recently entered a commercial partnership with Reebok. She was listed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list in 2018 and we met back in 2014, five years ago, when I walked in her London Fashion Week show. Welcome to the studio, Charlie Cohen. Thank you for having me and thank you for writing my new bio. Yes, you're so welcome. Thank you. I mean, it's the shortened version, Charlie. There's been so many incredible things that you've done along the way and you're so young that it's actually crazy. Thank you. It's like you've been in a time zone. <laughs> but um, I'd love it for anyone listening who doesn't know much about you, or they maybe just know like the fashion you and your like industry life and your career. Can you please take us pre-fashion school? I know you had an incredible childhood. It's super, super interesting and I guess has influenced and impacted you and the way you see the world and the things you've been able to achieve and create. So yeah, take us back. Sure. Um, so I uh, moved around quite a lot as a child, like throughout the UK. And then I spent two years sailing with my mum and stepdad to New Zealand in a boat, in a sailing boat that he'd built. Um, so that essentially replaced two years of normal school education, probably the best education that I got in my life through the ages of 13 to 14 um, and spent a lot of time at sea without much to do except write and sketch and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so it was uh, almost an incubator for figuring out future career, everything that I wanted to do um, and uh, also just an amazing way to see the world, experience different cultures and learn to spend a lot of time socialising with adults. Mm. Um, and then by the time I got to New Zealand and went back into school, it's like I don't actually know how to deal with my peers. Um, so that was that was quite interesting as well. Mm. Um, and spent three years in New Zealand just really struggling to fit in. Um, 
but I use that time to do other things. Uh, so I'm a musician as well. Um, and when I was in New Zealand, I had the amazing opportunity to um, travel and gig and do festivals singing, um, which was amazing. And I also got the time to start a bit of formative fashion education. Um, so to study pattern cutting, to study sewing. Um, and the education system was quite poor. So I spent a lot of time basically teaching myself as well um, and trying to give myself enough of a grounding to be able to come back to London and go to university there. Um, so it was quite, um, I'm an only child. I had, I guess, quite um, an introverted childhood of just like spending a lot of time focusing on doing my own thing mm. and f figuring out what I wanted and entertaining myself. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to pick up from that, actually, what you're describing then, not just from being an only child, but even the idea of being on a boat for two years. Like, to me, I can't, I can't, the word isolation comes up, but I don't know if you felt isolated and whether you, at that time, were you consuming like media? Were you, you know, like things like now, like social media and I guess even just even just the the amount of media we consume in a day and like people don't spend any time in solitude they never spend time on their own without other things so yeah were you were you in solitude or not um so i guess when we left on the boat um the internet was still very much a dial up modem situation um and there was myspace um but that was about it and when we were at sea obviously there was no internet no connectivity we had a satellite phone for emergencies but like insanely expensive so it's not like I'd be kind of making calls out to my mates every day um, so in that sense it was quite isolating but then the time that we actually spent on land and in port was probably the most social time of my life because there's this amazing community of people who are sailing the same route at the same time um, so that was a very, very social experience, more so than at any other point in my life, including school, university and everything else. So mm. both extremes, I guess. Yeah. And then you, you described when you then went to New Zealand, you felt like you didn't fit in there? No. So I, I really struggled in New Zealand. Um, I felt like it wasn't giving me what I needed um, for kind of how I wanted my career to move forward. I was very, very... Um, business oriented from a very young age. Um, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. So that was always the way that my mindset was. So it's like, okay, I need X education to be able to get into X university to be able to start X career path and so on, which obviously I know now is bollocks. But at the time, that seemed like the most important thing. And it, it felt like New Zealand was really limiting me. Mm. Um, but in hindsight, um, New Zealand gave me space to really explore my creativity. I had the time to um, pursue music. I had the time to gain more training in fashion. And I had the time, probably most importantly, to start my first fashion brand when I was 15, um, because there was literally the time and space to do that, that I probably wouldn't have had in the UK education system. Yeah, so for sure. And then when you did come to London, as you said, you were you were driven and seeking that, you know, I want to go to this place. I want to. So what was the course that you studied? Where did you study? And um, yeah, talk to us about fashion school. So I had, first of all, the hardest bloody time getting into fashion school because I didn't have a like normal A-levels, normal portfolio and so on. So um, I wasn't able to get onto a foundation course, but I managed to get onto this um 
this short course at St. Martin's called Fashion Folio, which was a sort of intensive two terms, focusing specifically on fashion rather than broader creative. Um, so that kind of became my foundation. And even though a foundation course is a generally a prerequisite for getting onto a BA, with that, I was just about able to scramble onto my course at Kingston. Um, and yeah, do my do my fashion degree there, which I hated, absolutely hated. Why did um, you hate it? It just, um, I felt very um, suppressed with what I was able to do. We were put into these industry projects, which really weren't um, kind of up my street aesthetically. I was very focused on what I wanted. I wanted my own brand. I didn't really want to be designing for like Gap and Banana Republic and French Connection and these other companies that um, we had these industry briefs for. And I really, really struggled because I was trying to put my own stamp on what I was um, designing for these briefs and kept getting shot down um, by the tutors. And I felt like I spent the whole time trying to mind read as to what people wanted um, mm. and not really spend much time on what I wanted to get out of this very expensive, very consuming degree. Um, but that fortunately all changed in the final year when I was able to focus on doing my own collection. Um, and then suddenly I was able to really turn it all around um, and ended up um, graduating as Women's Wear Student of the Year, winning awards at Graduate Fashion Week and having a pretty amazing time after what felt like the hardest uphill struggle of my life to that up to that point mm, it's so interesting you know that that journey as you describe it you know it was so difficult and I'm sure people maybe if they're in a situation like that right now they probably can't see that light at the end of the tunnel and you know I think I mean what you went on to achieve I mean is mind-blowing so for anyone who doesn't know that collection that you just described is that that's the collection I'm thinking of right which was then photographed is that the one? That was, was the, the, new the one? pre. Okay, the pre. The one. pre. So you then created a um, a collection which was photographed by Mario Testino for British Vogue. Yes. By modelled by Kate Upton, she was on the front cover of Vogue wearing your design, and it was a four page spread. And I remember seeing it was across the entire, you know, the the Piccadilly, oh, Piccadilly Circus. Circus. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it was everywhere. And suddenly, like that must have been insane to suddenly go like, who is this designer? She, you know, this is Charlie Cohen. Like you must have been the cover of British Vogue. How old were you? Um, so I was 23. That is crazy. How, um, like, oh my gosh, talk to me. Yeah, I mean, that was honestly, the like, in terms of press, that was literally the best thing that could have happened. Um, and it was completely unexpected as well because it was a very secretive product. I didn't even know what the pieces had been called in for. Um, and we didn't know that they'd been used until it came out. I just know that I got back this pair of leggings for some reason they were full of salt water. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the shoot and saw like Kate Upton being photographed in them in the sea, suddenly it all made sense. At the time, it was like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, what yeah. have they done to these leggings? And it was like, oh my God, like take all of my leggings, yeah. whatever you want to do to them. So, so okay, so someone reached out to you to... to to yeah, so at take that the product, point, but you didn't um, know why. I was, so I was working with, um, I'd started working with a PR agency at that point um, and the products were called in for Vogue, but mm. we didn't know what the shoot was um, and we didn't know that they'd been selected for it, wow. let, let alone that it was going to be the centrefold and everything else. Wow. And, and uh, 
it's funny because uh, almost every year um, Vogue sort of reels out that shoot. So I see it again on, on social media um, because it's such a... It's um, iconic. It's yeah, iconic. it is iconic. It's an incredible, like the image is so clear in my mind right now, that image of her, as you said, coming out of the sea. And, you know, I think at the time as well, you know, we're in a different landscape right now with media and kind of showing different kinds of, you know, women, different kinds of bodies, ages, gender, colour, all of that. But at the time, it was almost like people were like, wow, Vogue have stepped away from this idea that every woman on the cover is basically stick thin, that they look yeah. a certain way, that they're under 21. Like, it was almost like they were like, wow, look at this rebellious move from Vogue and I think that brought even more exposure to the partnership and to her cover let alone the fact that for you you're like she's wearing my clothes guys yeah no you're right it absolutely um, was very early on in this movement towards um, better representation and more body positivity I mean obviously like Kate Upton is gorgeous Mm. um, but not embodying that traditional like size zero zero Vogue model that you're used to seeing. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Unfortunately, now um, Mario Testino has been caught up in Me Too, and that's soured it a mm. bit. You know, now years later. Um, but at the time, mm. um, yeah, it was just the most mind blowing thing to happen. Yeah. So what what happened next? So what happened next from there? Good, bad, everything in between. Where did? What were the next steps? So next steps. I think for that first two to three years of the business um, I felt very much um, pressured by the industry to to be a certain way produce a certain thing so we started off um, not you know not selling through our website selling directly through wholesale so with that it meant that I produced these collections that spanned from activewear through to ready to wear um, but stores were just buying activewear so that was what was getting produced that's what we were getting known for and that was quite frustrating because it was only a small fraction of my vision what I wanted to do was to be able to create non-activewear pieces that were using these technical fabrics um, and that became quite frustrating um, and maybe in 20. 20- 16, I got to the point where I was kind of getting sick of designing and I had to question that because that was the reason I got into this business. That's my passion. Mm. And why is it suddenly feeling like a chore? Um, So at that point, I took a bit of a scary risk um, to be a little bit like Fock Wholesale if they don't want to work on our specific terms or work towards my specific vision. and design, started to design a little bit more of what I wanted and what my original vision had been. Um, and that was, I think, a very transformative moment within the business. Mm. And things started to come together after that. Um, so at the end of 2017, we signed this big deal with Reebok, um, which is launching in March next year. But there's going to be a little something pre coming out in November of this year um, which is very exciting Um, and since then we have launched um, Shades of Blue which is a mental health platform looking specifically at issues within the creative industry Mm -hmm. um, very much inspired by my own personal experience in the creative industry and those people that I've spoken to Um, we've ended up working so much with musicians because we're creating this technical product that's actually perfect for 
um, stage performances mm. that we've um, now launched this production company for music industry where we create music videos, create promotional content and do costume and styling and merch and it's kind of a one-stop shop. Mm. Um, and it's such a... It's so close to... Well, I think it's so perfectly what I wanted the brand to become and so far from what it was becoming through those first two to three years. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting how it, how it's in a way transitioned but also not transitioned because as you said that was your initial kind of vision for the brand in the first place but I want to go back a bit because I'm listening to you talk and I'm like you I'm have, jumping ahead no, I mean, it's, no it's just the fact that your journey like to you and maybe to me because I know you you know it's kind of like oh yeah of course I did this and of course I was like oh I'm going to do it my way and of course I had to be true to who I am but people find that incredibly difficult and you know it seems to me that throughout your entire life you've always I guess just been so you know who you are but also you've had a, you've been brave you've been able to kind of say you take risks you're not risk averse do you know what I mean like these are big sure. risks and people often you know that people encourage now like get out of your comfort zone like I don't think you have a comfort zone like you don't like how have you do you would you agree and also where do you think that comes from is that just innate in you um it's strange because I guess I'm quite an anxious person as well but I'm also very decisive and I have honed my gut instinct or got better at trusting my gut instinct because I've taken um, you know x number of smaller risks that have paid off and then you can kind of get more and more daring with what you do um, I think definitely my family again seeing them run their own businesses um, taking a lot of risks seeing them paying off has helped you know that's the kind of proof of concept for me and that was mm. the environment that I was raised in um, I guess even like the moving and the traveling and you know you mentioned you traveled and your mum like sold and bought houses and you do you think that also made you braver because there wasn't this kind of idea of like a constant and the fact that you have to do one thing one way I guess you probably I don't know did you ever see that you know if, for a lot of people they're just shown one way that is life that way that's it I, I think that I think that definitely definitely played a huge part um I've never been really settled anywhere and I've never wanted to be um I'm all about optionality I want to you know I want to always know that there are these different things I can be doing I would find it quite claustrophobic to think I'm just kind of stuck in this one spot doing this one thing um, so I'm always pushing to evolve because that's how I get my kicks um, but I would say I'm not risk averse but the anxiety is almost quite helpful in that it means that I really weigh up the pros and cons as much as I can there's obviously a large level of unknown but there are also practical logical things that you can weigh up to to then base that gut instinct off mm. and would you because i cause again knowing you personally i would describe you as an introvert however i think for people who just look at your list of achievements and the fact <laughs> that you're incredibly young and you know even the fashion industry and you know being on on social media and, and other forms of media i often think that people assume that extroverts thrive in that world and that environment and introverts don't or people who are introverts themselves might say well I could never do this or I could never do that so sure. how have you yeah how have you done that because would you agree that you are an introvert I am introverted I see myself as being pretty socially awkward and shy and always have been I mean that's one of the reasons that I've always been quite focused on doing my own little thing um so one of the things that's really helped me um has been rather than looking at 
networking in I guess the stereotypical way like you go to these parties and these events which is my worst nightmare <laughs> fashion parties um, exactly fashion parties yeah just I, I don't drink either so like there's there's no way of taking the edge off the hell that is a fashion party um the the best way I've found has been to work with and collaborate with the people that I want to get to know um, and being able to get to know them in that environment, which is very natural to me, where I feel confident and in control. Um, and that has been hugely helpful. And, you know, meeting people through that, then they introduce me to other people who I also work with. Um, and it's been, I think, a much more effective way of networking than just trying to be on this scene. Mm -hmm. So collaboration. Um, yeah, collaboration, collaboration exactly. Yeah. Um, which, you know, being in the creative industry, there's so much scope to be able to work with these people. So, you know, reaching out in a way that I'm more comfortable with via social media or via email, where I don't need to do like the scary face-to-face -face bit straight off the bat, um, and then work up to that. Mm. Yeah. Get get the coffee, do the project. Yeah, because I know that you've talked um, very openly, honestly, online about your own sh mental health struggles and about anxiety. And I don't know, I feel like you have a love-hate relationship with fashion and the fashion industry specifically. Yes, yeah. So one of the primary motivations for starting Charlie Cohen and also how it's evolved has been my discomfort with the fashion industry. So I'm trying to come in as this sort of quiet anarchist to fuck things up a little bit. Um, so first of all, it's very antiquated. It's very behind the times compared to other industries on so many levels. The, the power imbalances are crazy. The sustainability issue is disgusting. Um, the... Um, just the abuses of people and forgetting people are human seems to be really, really prolific in this industry. And, um, you know, people in power take advantage of the fact that it's hugely competitive. People are willing to do anything to feel like they're getting into the industry and able to level up in the industry. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's just a nasty, toxic environment um, that, first of all, attracts people generally creative industries attract people with mental health issues because creativity is an outlet for those people mm. um, and then it puts them in an environment that is the worst possible environment for somebody who's anxious or depressed or dealing with any type of mental health issue mm. and then it kind of glamorizes it as well because there's this idea of the tortured artist um, and you know creating from the darkest depths of your you know fears and mm. insecurities and and so on um and you know that it's been in the media over the last few years the number of suicides in the industry from people who on the surface seem to be doing so well um and let alone all those people that nobody knows about um mm. who didn't get to that level of fame um and that's something that i've been looking at for the however many years that I've been in involved in this industry whilst I was at uni seeing my friends go into these horrible internships where they were you know really poorly treated um and probably not paid for yeah definitely yeah, not paid for. for free 24 hours a day working for free like literally 24 hours a day um and I thought okay I can either complain about this from the outside or I can try and change it in my own little way from my own little corner on the inside so that's essentially what I'm trying to do I'm trying to um, create positive change 
um, and subvert all of those like horror stories of of the industry and uh, at least be an example of a way forward. Yeah, well, you're doing an incredible job. And I guess for anyone as well who who works with you or who, you know, I guess it kind of shows that there's other ways to, yeah, to create and to be in the industry and to succeed as well. So I think that's what it comes down to. Maybe ultimately, as you said, with these things being glamorized and being kind of part of the job, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, this is the only way. If you want success in this business, it's that kind of thing. It's like, how much are you willing to pay and all of that? Exactly. And it's being like, it's being gatekept by people who've gone through this, what they perceived to be a rite of passage which is actually just abuse and then they think like okay anybody coming up needs to go through the same abuse earn to your be, stripes yeah right. earn your stripes um at any cost at any cost which is ridiculous mm. um it's so it's so unnecessary and it's so old school and terrifying do you think that that i mean now with obviously social media and and the way that kind of our all, all these industries are kind of being exposed and people's voices are coming you know being democratized do you think that it is is, is it changing yes yeah yeah i mean there's still a long way to go but there is a platform now first of all for people to get their name out there and showcase their talent without having to go through these traditional industry paths um, to be able to call out abuses in the industry. That's huge. There's now a little bit of fear instilled in these in these people who were um, were the abusers. Now mm. that you know they're aware that there could be a whistleblower out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole Me Too movement um, is an example of that. Um, which is great. It's great that there's fear in that part of the industry now, mm. um, that they think twice about the way they're behaving. Um, and, but I think, you know, importantly, people are, through social media, people are seeing others that they can relate to that look like them, that have grown up in the same way that they have, that are succeeding in their own way in the industry. And suddenly they have a role model that isn't just a middle class skinny white girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that is, you know, that's so transformative. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most amazing things that social media has been able to bring to the table. For sure. it's Yeah, it's very, very powerful. So one of the projects that I've actually seen that you were a part of was the Daisy app, the class of 2019. Yes. So you were photographed by Rankin alongside yes. um, a host of amazing creatives. Um, I can't name them all, but there was, yeah, I mean, I was looking at that picture and it just, yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody was there. And I read a quote that you, that you said then that said, creativity means being able to put my own perspective on the world around me and translate it into a product which is I think just sums up exactly what you do so yeah talk to us about the Daisy app the project and being a part of that and also hanging out with Maisie Williams (laughs) first of all like Maisie Maisie is awesome she's absolutely as lovely and down to earth as she comes across um it was crazy to be part of that project I mean to be shot by Rankin and I didn't even know we were going to have individual shots with Rankin until the day I thought it was just this this group situation Mm. so that was both amazing and terrifying um Rankin also very lovely. Um, 
This is great so, to hear. Yeah, <laughs> countering the last five minutes of the chat. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it was really funny. Actually, it's slightly embarrassing that he was like, "Oh, you have amazing hair. We have to get you a wind machine." I was the only person there who had a sodding wind machine. The girl who for hates the fashion, <laughs> the fashion shoot with dancing with a wind machine. She was like, mm, "The slight irony of this." Oh, so so yeah, I had so my fashion. had my wind machine. Um, got to meet lots of cool people. I mean, the the premise of Daisy is really awesome. Like very much about democratizing the industry giving people at different levels within the industry the opportunity to collaborate and learn from each other which okay, is very cool so this is on an app so can anybody um download the app can yes people tell yeah so anybody anybody can download the app or join via the desktop website um basically you're able to either create projects or join projects um and it's it's all about collaboration portfolio building being able to network and meet people and work with people in the way that I was talking about earlier um so yeah take it takes away a lot of the barriers to creative collaboration across industries which is very cool amazing and also I guess it makes it safer because one thing that I remember way back when I was like oh how old I mean I'm old now but I'm thinking back to when I was maybe 17 18 19 and at the time I was living in London I was a professional dancer I think I was with maybe two agencies and a commercial modeling agency and I remember then I mean I didn't have Instagram then thank goodness but I do remember receiving messages from guys or from yeah they were from guys that were like I'm a photographer let's do a shoot like I can give you a portfolio that you can then use and I can keep all the pictures and I think when you're young you're like great like there's a photographer in London that like wants to take photos of me and I can use this as a portfolio and I think that actually I I do like to think I had my head screwed on and I'd always you know kind of question these things and almost look do they have a portfolio of work does this person have a website you know like is this safe because I think often when young people are going into an industry that's creative and they might want to collaborate they might see opportunities and think like oh this is great when actually you want to say yes to every opportunity yeah and actually those situations can be dangerous but also very kind of um, yeah there's vulnerable people who can end up like being photographed nude in black and white which I definitely know that friends sure. did and then they were told like oh you know it's like where are those pictures going to be used yeah, i mean it's you the, the no- era of model mayhem and yeah yeah crazy so i guess it's great that also these kind of platforms exist to ensure yeah safety yeah absolutely which is awesome okay oh my gosh there's so many things i want to talk to you charlie it's just like wisdom 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 <laughs> so if you could give the listeners i guess maybe let's go with two things one like something you wish you'd known say i don't know I don't want to say how long ago, but like back in the day. Do you know what I mean? Something that you've maybe had to learn the hard way that you wish you could go back and tell yourself. What would that be? I wish that I had been better at trusting my gut earlier on. I think that has held me back and delayed things more than they could have been delayed. Um, Just to yeah, trust my own instincts. One of the challenges that I've found in industry is not just that everybody wants to input and they really do especially in fashion everybody feels like they know about fashion they want to have a a say Um, one of the struggles is that you would think that people who've spent 20 30 years in industry would absolutely have the wisdom you should absolutely take their advice as gospel and the issue is that 20 30 years ago or for the last 20 30 years the industry has been very different to how it is now so in those situations i wish i'd known that actually in some circumstances, I maybe had a better read on what was coming up next and where to go than these people who were stuck in this old way of thinking. Um, so, so yeah, I think just the the trust in 
my own instincts, my own decisions, which is something that I guess I've only learned through proving to myself time and time again that mm. I've been kind of on the right track. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's really interesting to hear that especially for say for example young people who in turn you know in big brands or corporations or whatever where the decision makers might be those people that you're describing you know they've been there a long time and things have changed and often I think I encourage people I'm like people don't know what you know unless you tell them so for example you know saying to someone like having ideas and being like I think we should be doing this because this is what's happening online or this is you know the next generation or the next kind of you know I don't know the next generation of consumers and their purchase power and their habits like I you know pushing that forwards and being like I know this stuff like listen to me yes I might be 21 or yes I might be 25 but don't kind of yeah, dismiss me dismiss me yeah, yeah I think older I think and also in reverse I think people need to listen to the younger people in their team or in or in their family or in their network to kind of seek that information too. Sure, and then it's finding the middle ground between the the learned years of experience and that on-the-ground instinctive knowledge of what's happening. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think both need to kind of, yeah, learn from one another. And then my second um, question for you, I, I guess today I've, I mean, there's so many things. I've, I've highlighted, you know, your successes, your, you know, your ambition, your kind of... Um, just amazingness just all around cc-ness the vibe it's inspiring it's thank been, you I've thank known, you for the hype but it's true because i've known you for so long and it's never changed that's the thing you've never changed you've never you know it's never been diluted you've never gone like oh i'm just going to do this thing for like a quick you know mainstream like you've just always stayed cc which i think is a huge hugely admirable but my question to you is there must have been some failures it's not all been success 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 and there must have been some like real challenges and lows so so yeah, I guess the question is, can you think of a particular failure or, or low where you've thought there's no coming back from this or, or I don't want to come back from this or, you know, it's all over, but here you are still? Because I think sometimes people, they'll hear someone go, oh, of course I have failures and they'll name like a tiny thing, but they're like, this is make or break time, but you're still here. I think the the biggest thing was spending so long trying to guess at what the industry wanted rather than thinking about what I wanted. And I spent three years moving further and further away from my vision. And at the end of that, I hated what I was doing. And it you know, it wasn't representing anything close to what I wanted, which was soul destroying, because I put in three years hard, hard grind to get further away from what I'd done with my graduate collection, which was ridiculous. Um, so I think that that really was the biggest thing, like spending such a long time ignoring my own vision. Yeah. Well, um, even though even, even within my own company, where I was technically the one making all the decisions, I was still absolutely a puppet of the industry. Even though I was aware that I disliked the industry, mm. I was still using their benchmarks of success sure. rather than my own benchmarks of success. Wow. And how did you turn that around? And what would you say is your benchmark for success now? I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's tricky when you're trying to create a new model um, and there isn't a precedent. Um, so I think benchmark is really every day just feeling like I'm executing my vision and proud of what I'm doing. That's as much as I can do for now in terms of benchmarks. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm quite a decisive person. It was very much a probably a 24 hour like this is ridiculous. 
these are the ways that it needs to change. First of all, we need to go seasonless. I don't want to be fitting into the stupid industry timeline. Um, I need to find ways to be both more environmentally and more financially sustainable as a business, um, which again, the industry, the luxury fashion industry isn't suited to if I'm following their rules. Um, and I need to be working directly with my customer rather than through this proxy that is wholesale. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, kind of figured out the changes that I could make right away, made those, um, made a plan for the changes that would take longer or take, um, you know, more fundraising to be able to achieve and just go on with it. Yeah, I love that because with everything you do, it's always like solution-based, solution-based. You know, people that just find problems and, and excuses or reasons and they put yeah. off and they put off. Whereas I think with you, it's always solutions. Like, I like to fix things. Yeah, give me a, <laughs> give me a problem, fine, solution. Awesome. Okay, Charlie, I want to talk to you about the power hour. So I want to talk about what gets you out of bed in the morning, what makes you excited, inspired, any daily uh, hacks that you have, any things you've created into your routine. And yeah, I guess as a creative, I don't know what time you get up, but I want to know all of it. So what time and what's the first hour of your day like? Okay, so what literally gets me out of bed in the morning are our two dogs. Yes, so cute. Um, so that is really a, a 7 a.m. situation whether I like it or not okay. um, so that's that's kind of the day starts so one Pomeranian one multi-poo um, and she's six months so she's like wow very demanding at 7 a.m. Um, so I think if I if the dogs weren't waking me up I would either wake up at 4 a.m. or 10 a.m. depending on level of jet lag and whatever else um, but the most important part of my somewhat unstructured morning routine is to have a couple of hours before I need to deal with people at the outside world. Um, so I will always make sure that sort of meetings don't start until after 11ish so that I have that space in the morning to do whatever I need to do. Um, I try to leave it as long as I can before picking up my phone. Usually I'll, I can make it about an hour of not picking up the phone, um, which definitely helps with headspace for the rest of the day. Um, and I try to get something, however small, ticked off my to-do list within those first couple of hours of the morning because that suddenly makes the whole rest of the day seem easier um, and really helps to reduce anxiety for me, knowing that I've made that one little commitment to whatever my, my day's tasks are. Mm -hmm. Um and that is that is really the only areas that are consistent mm -hmm. okay. in the morning routine. Um, I do meditate every day. I can't always do it in the morning. Some point in the day, mm -hmm. um, I will do that. Um, but yeah, the most important thing about mornings for me is creating space. And then it changes from day to day as to what I fill that space with. But I need to know that it's there. Yeah, I like that, having that white space available to you instead of it being filled by someone else. I said yeah. to someone the other day that like, if you don't claim your time, then someone else will, that they'll fill that space. So as you said, if you say to people, I'm available from 9am, you're going to be 
you know, needed from 9am. Whereas exactly. if you say as a creative person, you know, like, oh, actually I'm available from midday, then people will respect and work around that. Yeah, exactly. And I think as well, I deal a lot with the US. Um, so I'm working on New York time and LA time. And that means working later into the evenings. Um, so it's important to have that, you know, to be starting later in the day. So I'm not... Mm. Um, working yeah, or switched about- on for ridiculous hours. And that's something that I learned the hard way as well. Um, I had um, really severe burnout a couple of years into the business and basically had to learn how to run my business and run my day with a couple of hours where I had the energy to be productive. Yeah. Um, and those habits have stuck, um, you know, and as grim as it was at the time, it's probably the best thing that's happened to me as a business person in terms of how I'm now able to structure my day and build in, as you described it, the white space. Mm, it's, yeah. it's so important. Yeah, and I think it's really important to to talk about that in a way that's positive because yeah. I think often, you know, I've, I've read a lot of stuff about, you know, you are incredibly successful and you are a high achiever and a high performer. And I think often people describe those people in one bracket as, and I think people put me, they think that I'm in the camp of like, you have to get up early. You have to read this many books a month. You have to be productive. Everything has to be about execution and about, you know, bigger and better and goals. And if you're not doing this, you're not doing anything. And it's kind of ironic for me because I, yeah, I'm an ambitious person. I want people to achieve success whatever that looks like for them but I know there's different ways to do that and I think that often people don't they just show one way you know it's yeah, like hustle and, and grind early morning late night like whatever it takes like that's the only way because if you're not doing it other people will outwork you you know yeah for sure and I think there is that lack of understanding that there's a difference between being busy and being productive and filling all the hours of the day doesn't mean you're productive. In fact, it's probably going to reduce your productivity. Um, whereas, you know, you can do the hustle and grind supported by having done the self-care, having had the headspace for your subconscious to figure stuff out. I mean, you know, we're talking about problem solving. Um, all the biggest ideas that I've had for the business, all the biggest changes that I've had for the business have come to me during those times of space that I've created for myself. Because if I'm just having meetings and doing stuff, stuff, stuff all the time, there's there's no time for um, my brain to actually work out the really fundamental important things for the business. Yeah, for sure. So on that note, could you give the listeners a challenge, something that maybe, so the Power Hour Challenge each week, I just want us to get an idea or an insight or an inspiration to try something new because it's great to listen to this show and it's great when people tell me, you know, oh, this, this really motivates me or, you know, I really enjoyed that conversation. I'm like, brilliant. But I think action and like implementing action and change is kind of more important than, you know, than, than just listening, feeling inspired and then that's it. So do you have a challenge for the listeners, something that we could try? this week to maybe yeah challenge ourselves yeah so the next time that you're feeling overwhelmed that you have so much to do actually stop what you're doing go out and have a walk for an hour see how see what that does for you yeah because it kind of feels opposite of what you want to yeah. do but it like- feels it feels wrong it feels there's like a guilt thing around it but yeah just stop take the hour go for a walk and I think you'll be surprised it's um how you feel when you come back and maybe how much of this stuff that you feel that you need to be working on you've actually managed to work through Mm -hmm. in a calm 
way. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Okay, and before I ask you my last question, can you tell us all where we can find you online and also where we can shop CC online? Yeah, so I think the easiest thing is to come to our Instagram, which is at Charlie Cohen, and that's Charlie spelt really annoyingly awkwardly, C-H-A-R-L-I, Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. And that really... um, has kind of all the elements of the brand world and you can go through to our website from there awesome brilliant and so my closing question for you charlie is all about time i ask everyone this question and i'm always i'm always i love this this answer every time so it's all about time i think it's the most valuable thing we have you can get your money back but you can never get your time back very true so what is the most valuable thing that time has taught you i think time has taught me that within my business, my health and ability to work is the most important thing. So if I'm prioritizing the grind over my own self-care, the business can't succeed. Brilliant, absolutely. Wonderful advice. I would expect nothing less. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. No, thank you. I've loved having you today. Oh, it's been a joy to talk to you and thank you for making me feel so great about myself. (laughs) I think that's my gift in life is to make seriously, hype people. Seriously, I'm a professional hype you are woman. the best hype woman. Yeah, I love doing it. So thanks for coming in. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that, um, yeah, that you got some insight from that, regardless of whether you're interested in fashion or whether you hate fashion, as, as I think Charlie does. Yeah, it's, it's okay to be both. Yeah, you can do both. <laughs> thanks so much, Charlie. Remember to rate and review this episode on iTunes, tag us in your stories, follow at Charlie Cohen online and have an awesome week. See ya. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.